You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Everybody and welcome to episode 59 of 2, 5, and 10. We had really big news this week in hockey. Benny, what up? How you doing, big fella? I am very excited to hear your voice. I know we covered a little bit of it last week, but I'm sure everybody that listens to this already know what went on. Let them know. Michael Babcock, uh, Babs as we like to call him, fired as head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. We spent a pretty good portion of last week's podcast talking about the possibility of that happening. Uh, I think we joked that maybe he's just going to get left in Vegas, um, pull a Gerard Gallant, and he didn't make it out of Vegas. So I guess our Nostradamus ways are coming back to us on that one. But um, I guess right off the bat, are you surprised that he didn't last a road trip? And where do you see him going going from here? Uh I am very surprised he didn't last the road trip just because it's very, very early in the season still. On the other end, when you hear everything that came out afterwards, it seemed like this was inevitable. Like, it it had to happen. So, where he goes from here, I don't know. I know he's still going to make a shit ton of money doing nothing. So, for him, pretty good. On the other end of things, I mean... I personally didn't like hearing how it was announced, how it was taken care of on the other end. Because for me, they made the original announcement, the Toronto Maple Leafs Twitter, Instagram, whatever it was, that written statement. And it says the alternate governor slash president, Brendan Shanahan, did it. I don't like that. Kyle Dubas is with this team every day. I, I don't know why it doesn't say Kyle Dubas fired him. And then when it comes to the first press conference, it's Brendan Shanahan again. And I personally don't like that because for a guy, and granted, Dubas is our age, 30, 31 years old. He's in charge of one of, I mean, the most lucrative franchise in the NHL. But behind that, if you're going to be in charge here, you have to own this. Like, I, I just don't like how it has to go to Shanny. They said Shanahan ended up throwing a players-only meeting. No one backed Babcock, and then he was the one who did it. But to me, like you have to know this as Kyle Dubas. This can't be a surprise to you that none of your players would back him, and now you have somebody else do the dirty work. Like If you're going to have that job and make that kind of money, and especially with the money you've handed out contract-wise, you better take responsibility for this. And that's just my only thing with it. Like, I just hate how it kept saying Shanahan, Shanahan, Shanahan. Like, where the fuck's Dubas in all this? I think he has to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, a small disclaimer on that is Shanahan was the guy that brought Babcock into Toronto and gave him the most lucrative contract for an NHL head coach in the sports history. So I... I understand why Shanahan would be involved, and maybe that's why, and to some degree, Shanahan would be the one to deliver the message. But I also agree that 
the fact that Dubas isn't even included in a press release, he wasn't part of the players meeting, or even if it wasn't an official meeting uh, that they have with the players, but just any of their communications, it was all Shanahan. Um, and that Shanahan was basically the king of the press conference. That also rubbed me the wrong way. Um, I don't know if that's because Dubas just doesn't want to take the fall for it because Sheldon Keefe has been his boy for years, even before they were in the Toronto organization together. So this is a pretty big step that you take as Dubas where you're letting go of, quote-unquote, one of the best or the best coach in the National Hockey League, the most the highest paid coach in the National Hockey League, and now your career is on the line because once you let go of the coach as a general manager, you have nowhere else to go except for the unemployment line. So, yeah, that kind of irked me too. I understand why Shanahan was involved. But I think the biggest thing was before we get into what was going on behind the scenes on uh, terms of player and Babcock relationships, I don't know who's kind of more at fault here. And I know as mentioned on our Facebook page that, that who's more responsible? Should the GM give the coach the players that fit the coach's system or should the coach be good enough to mold his system around the players that he's given? I don't know. I feel like that's a double-sided question just because in the NHL, there's no longer player coach GMs like there was back in the day. Like I feel like everybody holds their own deck of cards. And yeah, when you circle back to the Bruins this year and the contract holdouts that were happening at the beginning of the year with McAvoy and Carlo, all you hear Bruce Cassidy say when asked about it was, I can only coach the players that are here. The uh -huh. other stuff is out of my hands. And I feel like with the point there, he's right. Because as a coach, if your GM gives you a shitty team and you know it's a shitty team, your best job is to coach them, help them learn, develop into better players. And I yeah. think your job is safe. When you're given high-end talent, I think at the same time you're expected to win. Granted, this Toronto roster is the biggest mismatch of all of that. Yeah, for a head coach philosophy. Yeah, it's like yep. you're very top-heavy with the guys that you have signed long-term, and then you have your very big defensive guy that you picked up over the summer and um, Tyson Barry. And then that's kind of it. You have a very good Frederick Anderson in goal. So it's like you're relying on those top four guys that you have to produce produce well Tyson Barry to contribute and shut down at the same time and then have Frederick Anderson be lights out all in one so yeah. that's tough like as a coach because if Freddie has a bad night and your guys don't score you're it's over the other end, your D isn't as good as it was last year. Your boy Cody Cece. Like, oh, like God. no, I'm just saying, like, your D is not as good as it was last year. So now they're obviously going to give up more goals. Yeah. So, like, I just feel like it's such a double, double edged sword with certain things. Yeah, I know that Dubis is, and Shanahan especially, are very high in the analytical side of things, and Babcock is more old school. I just thought that there was. Maybe it's going to start coming out more and more as the season progresses and we go into the summer of the friction that Dubas and Babcock likely had because it seemed like Dubas put together a roster that he wanted, not a roster that he thought fit with the philosophy of the coach or the system that the coach implemented. 
on the other side of that, you have Babcock, who was given Tyson Berry, who's been one of the best power play quarterbacks since 2011 in the National Hockey League. And for some reason, he demoted him to the second line. And I don't know if that was like a little FU to do this. But as soon as Babcock was let go, now Tyson Berry, I think he has two goals in three games. He's on a first power play unit, playing much better than they had at any point before in the season. And I wonder if, and this is kind of a segue into the player stuff, where there are rumblings that Barry was going to request a trade if he hadn't already because he wasn't happy with the situation that he found himself in in Toronto. Now Babcock's gone. So I wonder if that kind of was too many pieces pieces of wood to the fire, essentially, where Barry wants out because of the way he's being utilized on the Babcock. All the other things that have kind of started to come out, and then when nobody fought to keep Babcock as head coach when Shanahan was talking to him, I think that just sealed the deal. I think it shows here, too, like when you get to the player side of thing, as to how maniacal and how psychotic Babcock was. Like, there's no argument here. Tyson Barry is your number one D guy, your number one power play one quarterback. Like, he quarterbacks your power play. I don't give a shit what issues that are going on. Yeah. If you, you want to win hockey games, you make him quarterback that power play and you score goals on the power play. So I feel like sometimes with Babcock, it almost became more of a personal thing. Like, you know, yeah. like I have the dick, no. I make the rules, you know, t- talking to the guys. Like, it's just a little crazy to me. And, yeah, we'll, we'll now get into a little bit more of the other stuff. Uh, late on, uh, uh, what did we find out this week about Mitch Marner, Benny? Yeah, I mean, it all boils back down to Bab- Babcock's ego, and Mike Commodore has plenty of insight into that. Oh, my um, God. For the record, <laughs> Commie's tweets this week were phenomenal. <laughs> like, coming up to it, like, I love, just in general, Mike Commodore's, like, the hashtag, pack your yep. shit, you're on the go. And the pack fact shit, ba- the Babs. fact he had it with Babs. And then the best part is he came out the next day with T-shirts. I yep. thought it was awesome. Like, it was awesome. Um, but yeah, so the story that kind of broke yesterday and now has been confirmed by uh, several got reporters around the team was that during Mitch Marner's rookie year, he was 19 years old at the time. Uh, let's see. So they were on a road trip and it was during a father-son road trip uh, where obviously the fathers and some of the Maple Leaf players joined them on a road trip and got to hang out with their kids and around the team and with their fellow fathers um so what happened was babcock confronted marner about the supposed laziness that marner was exhibiting on and off the ice so what babcock asked of marner was to create a list of all the players on a maple leafs roster and then ask them to rank them based on what marner thought their respective effort level in that particular season was so marner made the list where he ranked himself and his teammates in terms of effort level he ranked himself last, which is, I'm assuming, to be a good teammate and acknowledge that he could work harder, which, good on him, being 19 years old and taking that kind of in stride at that point. But then what Babcock turned around and did was he showed the rest of the team a list, including the guys that Marner ranked second to last, third to last, fourth to last in terms of effort level, and put him in that position inside the locker room, even though Marner was well-liked. On the other end of it, like, I'm pretty sure everyone could tell in his rookie year that 
Mitch Marner was going to be a problem in this in the National Hockey League, and not not in the sense of in the locker room. Just, <laughs> yeah, like just as to how good he was, and to put one of your future stars, if not star player, in that predicament in his rookie year, and yet again, you can't blame the kid for this. Like the coach asked you to do something, you don't want to get in his crosshairs. You do as you're told. I mean. That's the way it's always been in the, in the hockey locker room for me. You do as you're told. You were told yep. to do it. You did it. But to then go to the point of reading the list of the bottom five guys or whatever to them directly and say, Mitch made the list and then walk off. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, yeah. talk about, like, now this kid's walking on eggshells in the locker room. Like, he I, broke, Apparently he broke down and was crying in a locker room when that happened. Because this is the thing. If the coach brings it in in secrecy as to, you know, thank you, I wanted to get somebody else's perspective, and you want to ride a couple guys harder in practice, I'm okay with that. But when you're going to do that and completely blow them up and then point the finger, like, you got some balls. Yeah. Like, not even saying it was you saying, I notice you're not working hard. No, you say, Mitch says you're not working hard. Like, that's a fucking joke. Yeah, so... Uh, apparently, Marner kind of broke down in tears in the locker room after this happened. And the last two things about this story is apparently Babcock did this in Detroit too, um, where when he was the coach of the Red Wings, he did the same thing. They don't know or they haven't released the name of the Red uh, Red Wings player, but he made him write this list down of effort level among his teammates and then share the answers that the player gave him with the rest of the teammates. Um, so it sounds like he likes this type of friction experiment uh, in a locker room. But now to me, and I know this has been highlighted, this is all courtesy of the athletics, Ian Tulloch. Uh, he's the Maple Leafs guy for them. One of the Maple Leafs guys for the athletic. Now, doesn't it make more sense why Mitch Marner wanted max fucking value? Why, William Nylander wanted max value. Why Austin Matthews wanted max value? Because they probably figured if they were re-signing long-term, they were going to have Babcock as their head coach for like the next four or five years. Give me that fucking money to deal with this asshole. And I couldn't agree more. Like at that point, it's like, you know what? I'm all for the team, but at the same time, if I'm dealing with this guy, I'm getting paid for it. And I don't blame him at all. So Babcock's career with the Maple Leafs ends... Uh, four and a quarter years. Uh, I know he set a franchise record, which is what he liked to highlight of the first time in Maple Leafs, Maple Leafs history. They had back-to-back 100-point seasons, but having a loser point in overtime and a shootout helps that. Uh, but 29-42-11 and 11 and missed the playoffs in his first year. 40-27-15, and 15, lost in the first round. 49-26-7, lost in the first round. 46, 28, and 8, lost in the first round, and then 9, 10, and 4 this year, and was let go. Happy trails, I guess, to Babcock. We'll see if anybody picks him up. If I'm the GM or an owner of a young team, stay the fuck away. Um, but there were already rumblings about if the Devils fire Hines that Babcock might be of interest. I wouldn't do that if I was them, but we'll see where he ends up probably next season. I would be surprised if he makes that quick of a turnaround. Could I bring up a strictly a hypothetical? Because I was thinking about this the other day, and I was like, I, I want to drop this on Benny during the pod. I don't want you to be yeah, here yeah, for yeah. it. <laughs> so, say if in the National Hockey League you could trade coaches, 
Yeah. All right. So never mind the contract in years and all that. Just your team's not working. You don't think it's working. Uh, you don't think that that certain coach is the right fit at that time. So you go around and you look. Hypothetically, right now, what would you say if the Toronto Maple Leafs, I know they're in the same division, and the Tampa Bay Lightning made a trade for head coaches? Ooh. Oh, you ask me if I would do it if I was Tampa? I mean, look, look where they are in the standings. This uh, this is basically the same team uh, team on paper it was last year, give or take two, and yeah. look how they're producing. So do you think they need a change in the sense of they need a psychopath to go in there and have guys play scared and start playing better? And then you have Coop go up to Toronto and – now these guys have an upbeat guy in the room and not a psychopath. Like, <laughs> I think it almost works for both teams. Yeah, I mean, I think Toronto was very happy with Sheldon Keefe. Well, let's say Keefe left the organization last summer, like was rumored. I think that would be a huge win for Toronto in that deal. But I would do it if I would give it another like couple of weeks if I was Tampa Bay. But let's say by Christmas break they're still like scuffling along. I would do it if he. If we told Babcock, you're only here for the remainder of this season. We don't want you after that. Because long-term, he ruins locker rooms. He ruins young guys. But for the rest of this year, with that crazy-ass ego, with a team that should be winning a Stanley Cup, he kind of has that Mike Keenan effect. He comes in, he wins, he destroys, he leaves. And see what would happen. Yeah, that would be... That's actually pretty interesting. But yeah, I think... Toronto would win that trade if that actually happened, but Babcock for the rest of the year might not be a bad choice. All right, yeah, I just figured I'd lay that on you. I didn't want to give you any heads up on that one. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, moving along, uh, another guy who's not going to be seeing ice time anytime soon, Robert Bertuzzo suspended four games for a vicious uh, cross-check against Nashville Predators, who so they actually are having a rematch tonight at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, so we'll see if there are any fireworks going on there, even though Bartuzzo is not playing. Uh, the cross-check led to the four-game suspension, and Victor Arvison, who is arguably a top three, four player for the Predators, is now out four to six weeks because of an injury, suffered from the cross-check. One, typical question, what do you think of the suspension? And two, just what do you think of the thought process that was going through his head at that point? See, it's hard for me because when you watch the replay, you see that first cross-check when he's in front of the net, and he got called for two minutes on that cross-check. Yeah. I've seen that done a lot. Is it weird to say, like, there was a lot of force behind that cross-check to just be two minutes on the first one? Yeah, that was weird that it was only two minutes. Yeah, like, he, he gave him everything he had, and he launched him into the net. So then as he gets out of the net, then he comes over the top of the back of him and he gives him another one. Do you see him actually like in the replay when Bortuzzo pushes down on that cross check when Arvidsson's on the ice, you can legitimately see Arvidsson's body bend and like kind of yep. recoil straight up. Yeah, Bortuzzo specifically went after the area where there was no padding on the lower back where the kidneys, the liver, like all that shit is and went hard as shit like he had a... a 60-pound Sherwood in his hands. Yeah. Um, to me, I I think it's ugly. Like, yeah. what's the difference between doing that and then winding up and slashing somebody with your stick? I, I don't really see a difference in that end. 
uh, we we come to player safety, we expect certain things, and Arvidsson gets hurt. Four games, I I think four games is too light here. Like this is deliberate. This isn't like one of those head contacts where someone's coming across the middle, something changes, your shoulder gets him in the head. Like you have to be in control of your stick and and everything, and to use it as a weapon like that, it, it's ugly. But then I bring up the same point I brought up to you in the Lucic thing. If this is the playoffs, does he even get suspended for it? Oh, shit. I mean, yeah, the Blues set a record last year. The first team in Stanley Cup final history to have two guys suspended in the final. So I think he would have gotten suspended. I think the first cross check, yeah. The fact that he was pleading his case about like why that was a call is ridiculous. Um, but just the frustration involved where he just went back to the guy who was prone defenseless and targeted a specific area where he knew it would deliver maximum impact and pain. That's crossing a line to me. Like I know there are injuries that happen, but that's not a hockey play. And that's something that they highlighted in the uh, player safety video announcing the suspension. It's not even close to a hockey play. The puck's nowhere to be found. The guy's defenseless. I don't know why it was only four games. You figure he's a repeat of, offender too he's gotten fined and suspended for using a stick against players in the past um to me this is i've seen people try and compare it to the miles garrett situation in cleveland uh a little against, different than that yeah it's <laughs> a little different i think that's going too far to the one extreme but what's the difference and i'm asking you i know it's different parts of the body but what's the difference on a baseline between what bortuzzo did and what chris simon did in 2007 when he slashed ryan holweg in the throat and face when the rangers played the islanders what's the difference it's not a hockey play he did it out of frustration after getting called and has nothing to do with what's going on on the ice he got suspended 25 games yeah i'm with you because like you said it's deliberate it's not like a last second thing where someone moved an inch and and you hit hit him the wrong way like the foot suspension yeah like you're legitimately cross-checking him in the lower back and into the ice no puck there. And then the other thing, too, that pissed me off is Arvidsson gets cross-checked into the net. And then here comes fucking Jordan Bennington want to give him an extra whack on the other way out, too. Like, I'd love to see one of the guys give him a fucking elbow in the face tonight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, I think four games is way too light. And it kind of boils back down to what we've talked about previously, where there's no rhyme or reason to the suspensions handed out. Your department of player safety, but... You never know if they're going to actually protect the players or not. There's no tiered system. There's no automatic suspensions involved like the NFL has, like Major League Baseball has. I don't know why this is four games, but just, again, using this as an example, Chris Simon got 25 for slashing or chopping Holweg in the throat, and Holweg wasn't even seriously hurt on a play, but he gets 25 because it looked worse. I don't understand the reason behind that. If I, and then you have Arfison, who's out four to six weeks for the Predators, a division rival, but he gets four games. So I think I would have started instantly at the 15-game mark and then went from there. Well, uh, these guys are always going to cross paths again, and hopefully yeah. when Arvidsson's healthy. Like, if I'm Arvidsson, I know they say hockey players always carry grudges or whatever. I don't even drop the gloves with Bortuzzo. The first shift I'm out there... <laughs> I mean, wherever that puck goes, if it goes into the corner, if it goes there, if he's on the back check, 
or if he's going to get that puck, I'm giving him one right in the calf. And I want <laughs> and, and I'm like a wind up right in the calf. And when he turns to see what it is, I'd cross check him right on the jaw. And yeah. then I jump him. Well, and then Nashville ends up losing Arvidsson for an indefinite period of time to suspensions. If hey, if I mean Arvidsson's not a repeat offender. It, it shouldn't. Yeah. It should be two games, if anything. Yeah, like, and that's what games. I hate. I'm fine, <laughs> because the biggest thing that you said when you were talking about it is the Department of Guess what? Player, Player safety. safety. Hey, if you want me to regulate it, because that is the beautiful thing about hockey is. We still have fighting, and when shit gets a little ugly, guys can cross lines and wires get crossed. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Hey, yeah. I got my retribution. Does that make me a bad guy? Maybe. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, it's much better now that when fighting is evolved in today's game, it's more spur of the moment and because of a situation and not like the old school days when Todd Fedoric and Aaron Ashton would just line up and go, you want to go? And then just fight for no reason. Um, but for me, yeah, if I'm Laviolette, first of all, would you tr- do you think Watson is an equal in terms of fisticuffs with a guy like Bortuzzo? Like, do you think he same white class can handle himself in that on that level? I don't know, dude. Bortuzzo's a little bit of a monster. His years in the AHL, he he was a he was a fucking problem. Like he went around and he fought yeah. everybody. He's a big. I mean, shit. He even fought his his own guy in practice last year. So, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. So like, I because what I'm thinking is, if I'm Laviolette, if you don't think Watson can handle it, maybe you make a move for somebody. But obviously not before tonight's game, but when Arvidsson's back in the lineup later this season. And maybe you let Arvidsson run him a little bit, dump the puck in, have Bortuzzo turn around, and then you let Arvidsson or whoever just basically make him an implant into the uh, end boards. And then you have whoever on Arvidsson's line to just step right in and handle a fisticuffs after that. Yeah, I don't know. I'd I'd have to look at their uh, Milwaukee roster, see if they have any goons in the AHL. Hey, I'll trade him Michael Haley for a conditional. Oh, but dude, it's like, it's one of those things too, where the NHL now too, if they bring somebody up, you already know there's going to be Colin oh, yeah. Campbell in the room before the game saying, the know, refs. yeah, like keep it in like the refs can only control a certain amount of things. And retribution in hockey is usually not one of them because we've seen it get out of line. However, many times the, the Steve Moore incident with Tucker yep. Tuesday, like, Guys are going to come and get their retribution no matter what. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how this one plays out with some great divisional foes. Well, it's either that or I'm going after Tarasenko tonight. And you know what? Sometimes you have to make that move. And if Watson goes after one of them, this is the other thing. Bortuzzo's not in. So who's going to come back after him? Pareko? So, I mean, go after O'Reilly? Go after Tarasenko? Yeah, Yeah, pick your guy. Yeah, pick your guy. That's the thing. The, the NHL, and sometimes it's the referees on the ice, and sometimes it's the NHL league office after the fact. When they under-legislate and under-discipline, it leads to another situation happening in the next game. So if they just suspended Fortuzo, let's say 10, 12, whatever games, I think Nashville, even though they're still pissed about losing Arvidsson for four to six weeks, 
they at least feel like, okay, there was some level of justice served, and then the next time Bortuzzo plays us, we'll just challenge him, drop the gloves, and move past it. Now they're like pissed off about Arvidsson's injury and that they feel like he wasn't suspended long enough. In the best part of that central division, they're playing each other tonight. Yep. Uh, moving on to another suspension and another, I don't know what the fuck this guy was thinking. Uh, last week, well, late last week, uh, the Capitals and Ducks were playing, and there's a scrum in the corner. Garnet Hathaway and Joe Lipstick, which is running around like wild men, led to a scuffle in the corner. And Erica Branson, big boy Erica Branson, got involved and grabbed Hathaway. And Hathaway decided to spit in Branson's face and was suspended for three games. I know as a Bruins fan, you might be a little too close to this with the history of Brad Marchand and some kisses. But uh, what do you think about how, on a scale of things, in terms of crossing a line as a hockey player that somebody could do to you, where this getting spit in the face rank? If anyone ever spit on my face and I was on the ice, <laughs> I, I would Marty McSorley them. Like, with my <laughs> I, was, I was expecting that. <laughs> yeah, like, no. Like, you, you want to talk about a blatant disrespect to anybody in general, never mind on the ice. Like, like someone spits in my face, like, I don't give a shit who you are. Like, I don't care if you're an MMA fighter. You'll probably kick the shit out of me. Like, we're going to fucking fight. Like, that's like the lowest thing you can do to somebody. And to me, the suspension's light on that end to just go and spit somebody in the face. I did see in the replay when they show it from the other angle that it looks like it was his mouth guard that popped out, not like a complete spit job. But even then, those uh, NHL mouthpieces are molded, and they're molded tight to your mouth. So you yeah, you had to loosen that up. Yeah, so I mean, there was definitely intention behind it. I actually can't believe Eric Branson is a massive individual, and I'm surprised that he didn't completely kill Hathaway there, even with the linesman there. Yeah, so, I was watching a game with the first lady. Well, she wasn't watching the game. It was on, and she was also in a room. Yeah, she was sitting on the couch <laughs> while I was watching the game. And when that happened, and I saw Gabranson get involved, and I was just like, well, you know, no one's really in his weight class. And then I saw himself losing his mind, and I was like, it. I was expecting it to get much worse, like you said. And I was like, there's nobody in the ice that can stop Gabranson if he didn't want to get stopped, including linesmen. So it was just his own self-control that contained that situation. I wish I had self-control like that because I would not <laughs> in that situation. Yeah, I would have lost. I would have lost my fucking mind. But um, yeah, just two very disturbing situation uh, incidents that happened this past week. I'm pretty light on suspensions enough, and I know Puck Daddy was flabbergasted that Hathaway was even suspended at all. But that's another conversation to have at a later date. Um. But moving on to, I think, our favorite segment of each week's recording is the Bruins and Rangers Week in Review. You know, Bruins kind of turning things around a little bit, helping me with the lock of the week finally. What do you got going on with the Bruins? And I have a couple questions for you when you wrap your uh, insight up. All right. I I have to get right to that Minnesota game. So, A, I'm, I'm very happy that we could help you. B, I mean, it, it looked a little bit ugly out there at, at times, and then the boys kind of brought it together. David Krejci in the last 48 seconds or whatever it was 
pushing it to overtime. And then Tory Krug, first game back. Um, yeah, l- looks pretty good out there. End-to-end rush at the end with the little uh, five-hole goal against Alex Stalock. Sorry, bud. I know you're, I know we were friends in Worcester, but uh, th- that ship has now sailed. And you nice were little well. celebration, too. Nice little celebration. Uh, I actually forwarded that to you in your uh, yep. DMs that the boys at practice today were having their best sellies, <laughs> even uh, Coach Cassidy getting in on it. Uh, the guys are in a good spot right now. It seems like everybody's happy, very happy that Tory Krug's back, Jake DeBrusque is back, and I, I like it. It seems to be really good right now. Five, two, and three in our last ten, three game winning streak. Uh, actually, no, it was great. So the Thursday night game, oh shit, I forget who we were playing, but they were showing how um the Bruins have been doing like one on one interviews with players throughout the year, kind of like a you know you get to know people and uh they ask them questions about growing up. So this week's oh, yeah. it was actually on today at eight, so we're recording right now, so I didn't see it. I DVR'd. I'll watch it after. But uh, they had the thing for Matt Grizzlick. So it was going from the second into the third period. So they show like the little preview of it. And then they show Grizz on the bench. And he goes to like take a sip of water. And the water bottle like explodes all over his face. And they're watching him live on the bench. And he like gets completely squirted <laughs> in his eye. So now he got like the one-eyed Willie going on the bench. Trying to get it. Th- like, oh my God, dude. Me, Stratty, and Kyle were dying on the couch watching. Like, it was hysterical. Completely unexpected. And the cameraman, for whatever reason, did not get off of him. And he's like recording this the whole way through. It was a riot. I know that's not hockey. But, um, <laughs> yes. Um yeah, no, I, I like where we are right now. Th- th- that's all I got. All right, well, I got a couple of questions for you. The first one is, what do you think of the Bruins' black third jersey? I'm not a fan. I, I've i seen some of ours. Like, I really liked the Winter Classic jersey of last year. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked that design. I thought it was good considering the first Winter Classic one was kind of ah. Um. This one, I mean, legitimately, hey, that that's a big B. <laughs> like you know, like I don't, I don't big really know bitch. what else to say. But like, I just feel like they could have gone a lot deeper into the history or made it a little bit better. And you know, all this hype for a third jersey, and that's what it is. It's I don't know, really didn't tickle my fancy. Yeah, I mean, the B is one thing. I know it's kind of a throwback to one of the original logos that they had before it was the spoked B. Um, but for me, the piping around a jersey, if you just look, if you take the logo off the jersey and you see a black jersey with that piping, it just reminds me of the 90s Penguins unis in a way. Like the color of the gold kind of is more yellow than gold. And I mean, the jersey's fine. It's just like, okay, here's a jersey. It wasn't anything like that great. It's not shitty. It's just like kind of there. Yeah, it's just there. Yeah, I'm with you. Just there. It doesn't really do it. Um, my second question out of three for you is what is going on with Bergeron's groin, man? Missing two games, not making a road trip to Ottawa and Montreal. Um, he's out indefinitely with a quote, lower body injury, but everybody in hockey knows what that means when it comes to Bergeron. You got two and a half years left in his deal. I made the joke on our Facebook page that he's going to be limping to the end of that contract. Literally. Is this a concern for you guys or is just kind of preventative? I mean, Listen, P- Patrice Bergeron is a generational player. You, you you don't just stumble across one of these. Like 
this guy could legitimately have the Selkie trophy named after him when he retires. It could be the Bergeron trophy. Yes, it's extremely concerning when your number one center is out. And it's scary because he played Saturday night. Now he's not playing the next two games. I know me and you have made the joke before of load management just because it's like an NBA thing. But to me, when it comes to something like this and it's hockey and you use your groin for everything in hockey, yeah, it's very scary. And if you knock down Patrice Bergeron, like Bergeron and Marchand have a chemistry that they've had since they started playing together. Is Brad Marchand the same player without Patrice Bergeron uh, via the past? No. Granted, this year he, he's been on a tear with Pasternak, but I still think that where Marchand lacks at times defensively, Bergeron's able to cover for him, and together they are a very good unit. Yeah. Going forward, yeah. I mean, I, I expect this team to be in the playoffs, and with that, if we get to the latter parts of the season and Bergeron still, I'm going to play one game and be off three games, four games, that almost reminds me going to the old school time at Cam Neely, where I know, granted, it's a lot different between his knee and hip compared to Bergeron's groin, like structural as opposed to muscular. But that's horrifying that your best yeah. player may not be on the ice. And the thing for me is, are the Bruins as good if Bergeron is a more of a 65-game-a-year guy in a regular season compared to 75-80-82? Would that leave them in a spot where they're contending for a playoffs, but maybe not the division like they have been, where he's going to have to only play 65 games or something like that to rest that groin or deal with whatever he needs to deal with that's chronic? But once the playoffs come around, he has that the energy and he's healthy enough to give it a go throughout the playoff run. Oh, I, I am more than okay with that. If he only plays 65 and he can still give us something. But the only other thing with Patrice Bergeron is this every postseason we've been in since 2011, he's had an injury of some sort. Concussion. And usually severe injuries. Yeah. Concussion, the broken nose, the ribs, the groin, like, so the only thing for me is if we if he can only play 65 games and actually be healthy in the playoffs, I'll take it. But if he can only play 65 and now this groin is still nagging and it's going to be a couple of games that he's going to miss during the playoffs too, yeah, that scares me and that scares me a lot. All right, and the last question I got for you, for you is actually a listener question. I'm sure you know I don't have the first name. I just have the Instagram. See Pacheco 617. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to know your thoughts on if the Bruins should trade Krug, who's an upcoming free agent, for a second line score and then just slide Grizzly up to play with Carlo. Well, first and foremost, Chico, thank you for the question. And the answer is no. I mean, you could see it Saturday night alone, first game back. The way he quarterbacks that power play is completely different than what anyone in this lineup has to offer us. And in the past, I have been the guy to say trade Tory Krug to get something. I honestly don't think you can. I mean, solidifies our back end because you take Krug away. Uh, now we're down to Chara McAvoy, Grizzlick, Miller, Carlo, Clifton, 
John Moore, like Tory Krug's. I mean, when it comes to giving you something offensively, he's the guy. I know there's the whole defensive thing about him, but Tory competes. Like he, he might not be the biggest guy, but but he's in the mix with everything. Is he a uh, keep at all costs player for you guys this offseason? Fuck, I don't know. That makes it tough because I don't know what he's going to want. So that makes it scary. But the other thing's this. We don't know if Zidane Ochara is coming back at the end of this year. So yeah. the end of season comes along. We trade Krug away. Z's gone. Now we instantly go to McAvoy, Carlo, Grizzlick. And then uh, I'm pretty sure Kevin Miller's a UFA at the end of the year, too, which they probably won't bring back either. So I just think going forward, I think he is a vital piece of the offense, the locker room. I know him and Marshand, I mean, they're, they're a little munchkins. They're, they're you know, they're cute, <laughs> cute little guys, are, are little leprechauns. But I think Tori is a complete glue guy in that room, and everybody seems to love him. And moving him out of there could be tough. I know there has already been rumors of him wanting to sign in Detroit just because he grew up there in the offseason. But I just think for him, this is the only place he's played so far. I'm not not saying his number is getting retired to the rafters, but if we give him a decent deal, he's going to be over there. I'd say four at seven a year, five, seven a year. I, I, I think he'll stay. I, Let me, I think he would stay. I'll, I'll put you on the spot right now, and this is just because of the comparable with Chuba on Rangers. If would you give him a seven-year, fifty-six million dollar contract for an eight million a year AAV? It, I think he's worth it. But the only other thing is, I'd have to look at every one of our contracts and go because in three yeah. years we have to pay McAvoy and Carlo. I have no question that they're both going to be here. At the end of this year, Grizzlick's RFA. We're going to have to pay Matt Grizzlick. So I, I just think I'd have to sit down, do the math on all the things. that You know, it's Thanksgiving. Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll do my assessments as to where people will be in the future contract-wise and if Krug falls in it. But Jake DeBrusque is another guy who at the end of this year is going to have to get paid. So Don Sweeney's going to have to do a whole bunch of haggling numbers-wise but I do feel that Tory Krug would take a discount to stay here. Yeah, maybe he'll sign instead of seven and fifty-six. He'll sign seven and forty-nine. Yeah, like or six because I know he's he's older than Chuba is. Chuba's yeah. still twenty-five years old. Maybe he signs for like five or six at six million a year. Uh, I deal with that. Five years, six year, thirty. Yeah, in a heartbeat. All right. Well. If anybody else wants to be included on a show and send any questions, feel free to message us on Facebook or Instagram, 25 and 10 Hockey. And if your question is good enough, we'll throw you on air. Bang, bang. Um, but yeah, I'll quickly move through the Rangers we can review before we get to our picks and shoutouts. Um, I think this previous week for the Rangers highlights exactly who they are as a team so far this year. Inconsistent as fuck. On Wednesday, they absolutely dominate the Washington Capitals at the Garden. They went 4-1. to one. Just one of, the, one of their best 60-minute performances of the season so far. 
And then two nights later on the road against the Senators, they get absolutely fucking curb stomped. I know the score is only 4-1, to one, but they were not in that game at all. Just lazy play, up and down the lineup, not engaged, not interested, not... I think I counted. I went back and even watched this game a second time, so that's what you need to know about how much I love pain, uh, giving myself pain. They threw the puck in and made the Senators' defenseman turn around twice the entire game. There was no engagement level for the Rangers in that game. And then they turned right back around the next night on the road to Montreal and overcome a 4 nothing deficit and win 6-5 to in regulation in the House of Horrors of the Rangers, uh, the Bell Center, with a big, and a lot of the young guys stepped up in that game. I know Lemieux got the two goals and a game winner. Uh, Hedl got a goal. Fox had another great game, but that's what I like to call a dick on a table, balls on a table type of game where you just go fuck this and you throw your shit on the table and show off and then you just pull that fucking win out. And I think that's hopefully going to be a turning point win for this team and shows them what they're capable of, gives them some confidence, and hopefully provides some consistency. But, yeah, just a microcosm of our season. Beat the Caps handily at home, play like shit on the road against one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference and the Senators, who I know are rebuilding and playing better than expected, at least on my end, and then just overcome a four-goal deficit against Montreal the next night to win 6-5. The interesting part, staff from that comeback is uh, the Rangers, and I'm just reading this from the Rangers, the Rangers rallied from a four-goal deficit or larger to win a game for the fourth time in franchise history. And the last time it was done in 1991 against the Washington Capitals, which it was a five-goal deficit. So that's how historic this win was this past Saturday against Montreal, and I hope they can build on that. They're currently playing the Minnesota Wild right now. It's tied 1-1. It's the return of Matt Zuccarello, so uh, he's he got a nice tribute every time he's on the ice to Garden Chanzuk. Um, so nice to see him back and playing well for the Wild. But really, despite the week that they just had and the big comeback win that they just had, one of the interesting stats to me that's been kind of pointed out is despite the inconsistencies, despite the good moments and the good games and the good stories from the year so far, the Rangers still lead the league in penalties. They are 29th in NHL on a penalty kill and are a minus 236 in shot attempts. So they have a shitty penalty kill, but they take the most penalties. And they have given up the most shots, which means they possess the puck at a lower clip than almost every team in the National Hockey League. And the only reason why, especially during his Zibanejad injury, where he's missed 12, 13 games now, that they're even respectable in the standings is because of Artemi Panarin, who's just basically dragging his team to respectability. And the play of Lundqvist and Georgiev and goal. If it wasn't for those three guys, we'd be in the basement right now. So hopefully this win, Montreal gets things going a little bit better and Quinny gets out of his own way outside of just saying, play good, you play. Play bad, you don't play. Uh, which is apparently his only coaching model. Uh, so we'll see what happens now. I know they have they go on a road on uh, Black Friday and play up in Boston, which I know... Uh, you're going to, and that's the debut of the Bruins' new third jerseys. So that's kind of a national TV audience. We'll see if they've learned anything since the last time you guys 
destroyed our souls at Madison Square Garden. And then the next day, they're on the road to play the Devils at Prudential, and I will be there uh, to see the boys in action against the Devils, courtesy of uh, our friend Greggy, who works for the Devils. And we'll see kind of what this week has in store for the, the baby Blue Rangers. We shall see. Uh, how, how are you getting across town? Are you, you take the train, or how's that work? Yeah, I mean, you, I'll take the subway uh, into Penn Station and then just take the NJ New Jersey Path subway. So they have like a limited uh, subway that runs from Man- Midtown Manhattan to Newark and then just walk a couple minutes to the arena. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. I guess one other thing before we get to shout outs and locks and game of the week. Was this week the week of saves? Uh, oh, yeah. That Mark Andre Flurry save. The Tuka Rass save where he loses his stick and catches it with his blocker. And then Anton Hudobin last night or the night before on Another the goal save. line. And I was like, holy crap. Like, you, you got the one save of the year candidate, Mark Andre Fleury. And everyone's like, oh, hold my bear. Let's get after this. <laughs> yeah, that was a great week. Um, I think the Rask save is the best out of the three. Maybe 1A and 1B with that Flurry save, but. Yeah, just making the the waffle board save, as Doc Emmerich would like to say, barehanded was pretty unbelievable. Yeah, I was watching. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Still nothing compared to the Lundqvist save on Mark Savard years ago um, on that one-timer point blank at uh, TD Garden. Uh, I was laughing in typical Bruins fashion. We had a guy over here, a guy I work with, who uh, he sees me Friday. He's like, oh, yeah, Bruins, oh, yeah. Yeah, fucking Tuka Rask. Well, he made a good. He made a nice save though, and I'm like, oh my god, shut the fuck! Like the Tuka, hated. <laughs> it's so it's so bad over here. It's so bad. Meanwhile, if Tuka was on another team, and you guys had the same level of goaltending that you do now, you, I feel like a lot of Bruins fans would be like, we need to get Tuka in here. Oh, it's the the Boston people are brutal when it comes to it. Like the biggest flip floppers of all time. It's the Felger and Mass syndrome. Oh God. Um, all right, so I'm off to Snide. Hopefully I get on a winning streak, and then I'll feel compelled to share the current standings. Um, I think you have a 242-game lead. Uh, but who do you got for lock of the week and game of the week? Uh, so I have two games of the week. The, the one I'm going <laughs> at, the, the day after Thanksgiving, the 1 o'clock. Benny, I'll miss you. But yes. uh, Bruins-Rangers, just because I'll be there, I'm going there with Fastville, one of our previous co-hosts for a show. So RIP to my liver already. <laughs> uh, the other game I have, let's see what night it is here. It is on Saturday night. I have San Jose at Arizona. Uh, San Jose seems to be right in the ship a little bit. Eight and two in their last 10. Arizona sitting pretty in th- uh, second in that Pacific division. So I think it's a big game for both of them just to kind of see exactly where they're at. If San Jose can stay on their winning ways or if, uh, Arizona can stay on top of the division there. So. Very interested to see. And, I'm sorry, for my lock of the week, I know it's easy to say it, so I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I'm hoping my Bruins win while I'm there. So I'm going Bruins over the Rangers. Actually, that could that could be a throw-in for us this week as to just, uh, I don't really have to pick them. So uh, let's see who I'll go with then. All right, you you go. I'll, I'll figure one All out because right. that one's a gimme. I mean, that that's just oh, an extra thanks. bonus. Appreciate it. No, I'm saying it's an extra bonus. That that's for our teams. That's kind of 
That's kind of easy. Um, all right. So my game of the week, I'm also going to follow your uh, lead and go with the game. I'm going to Rangers Devils on Saturday, November 30th. Um, besides the fact that I'm going to the game, I think it's a nice litmus test for the Rangers in the sense that the Devil, they're kind of bunched together in the standings and the Devils have had a lot of problems this year, um, especially in the goaltending department and goal scoring department. And this might be an opportunity to kind of put some separation between the Devils and uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets and kind of fight your way back into wildcard contention. My lock of the week is the same day, Saturday, November 30th. I'm going Washington on the road over the Red Wings. Washington on the road over the Red Wow. All right. Well, that that was a tough one. <laughs> I need the gimmies, man. All right. I will go with... Saturday, Columbus at the Islanders, going with the Islanders. So they're going for the 18th straight game with at least a point, which is, I believe, it, or it's already a franchise record. It's an, I think it's an NHL record at this point. If they make it that far, I think it would be like 20. They'd be going for the 21st consecutive game with a point, which is ridiculous. I mean, not to mention, too, uh, Dallas and their last 10, 9 0 and 1. So they're doing pretty good right now, too. Mm-hmm. Sitting uh, second in that central division. Yeah, they made a nice little climb with the standings. Yeah. Um, all right, so today in NHL history, I'll make it quick. I got two for you. Uh, November 25th, 1981, Wayne Gretzky gets his eighth hat trick of his NHL career two months before turning 21 when he scores four times in an Oilers 11 4 win against the Kings. Uh, Gretzky goes on to set the NHL single-season record with 10 hat-tricks in 1981, a mark that he matches again in 1983-84 season. And lastly, in 1997, three years after helping the New York Rangers to their first Stanley Cup since 1940, Mark Messier returns to Madison Square Garden for the first time after signing with the Vancouver Canucks. He cries on the bench, as of course during a video tribute and scores a breakaway goal and is named the game's first star in a Canucks four two win. Mess. Who do you got for shout outs? Uh so Stratty's really gonna like this one. So Saturday I I get my Puta brother in law, he calls me. <laughs> hey, uh I, I wanna go out to dinner. I'm I'm feeling steak. I I wanna go out to dinner. I said, all right. So me and Stratty had head up his his way. We go to the roadhouse, and that was like an hour wait, jam-packed everywhere, even the bar. So we're like, all right, we'll go somewhere else. So we end up at the Outback because, you know, my my bitch brother-in-law really wants steak, fucking broad (laughs) with pants on. So we end up going to the Outback. It's an absolute shit show there. We're able to get a table, though, at the bar, so we had to wait like 10 minutes, which wasn't too bad. All right, we finish up. He goes, all right, let's go back to my place to catch the end of the third period. Well, to catch the third period, the second it just ended. So, all right. We get to his house, and he doesn't have Nesson. Does not. So we miss the comeback in the last minute, and then the Tory crew goal in overtime. So um, big shout-out to my brother-in-law. <laughs> um, I noticed that you and the fam had a nice little photo shoot. I guess that took place over the weekend. And uh, did, is that what contributed to the sickness of the little one? Uh, well, the little one had been kind of battling all week uh, at certain points. She kind of had puffy eyes and a whole bunch mm. of other stuff. And then Redder's friend had texted her saying that her kid had actually had conjunctivitis. And 
it, it was just one of those things we were battling and yeah, it, it was it was a long weekend here, but it wasn't like a day off weekend. It was a long weekend here in the Naughton well, household. But yes, the pictures her, uh, were good. They came out good, thank God. Put her on a LTIR, get some salary cap space. Well, you know, thank God for the holiday, so I don't think I have to, you know, just a couple of rest <laughs> days. Uh, shout out to me, of course, First Lady. Uh, she will be leaving Thanksgiving afternoon. Uh, they go on a girl's trip with a couple of her long-time friends to Mexico City, so I'm giving her tips to avoid getting kidnapped and murdered by the Mexican drug cartels. Um, and a second shout-out, this one's also partly to Shatford. Uh, big shout-out to Zach Jones on UMass, Rangers prospect, having a hell of a year. Um, I think the second-leading scorer in college hockey at this point among defensemen and in that Hobie Baker Award conversation. So big-time shout-out to Jones and Shatford for UMass. There it is. I mean, I think Stratty's just been waiting for you to give UMass some sort of credit. So he's probably <laughs> he's probably a lot happier now. But uh, everybody, as always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, everybody, have a great, fantastic holiday, a nice Thanksgiving. Wherever you guys are going, enjoy it. Enjoy the family. Enjoy the fun. Have some vino. Relax. Chill out. Do not try to kill your family members it's never a good day for the police department they don't like having to do paperwork on thanksgiving um outside of that we will catch you guys next week with another jam-packed episode of two five and ten and we'll see you guys then happy thanksgiving I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, greens, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkeys, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, ram, long, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkeys, chicken, turkeys, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, ram, long, long, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkeys, rabbit, beans.